a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're he mistaken. Said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunched. So, uh, you guys put the mega crunch on the song. That would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word. Passes. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. About like using a broken jump rope. This is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> what is so a well. broken jump rope? Uh, well, it's a jump rope that's broken in half, and so it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't work. Anyway, uh, this is Table Talk Radio where the jokes are that good. <laughs> Sorry. Just you wait till my buzzword. Oh, okay. Well, it's going to be mediocre and hilarious. Absolutely. Well, the quick lineup of today's show. It, the the lineup of today's show is still in the making. We're we're yet to know what today's table talk radio brings, but what we do it's know, it's coming to be spontaneous, a mark of the Holy Spirit. By the way, <laughs> that's right. I like your quote, by the way, that you said on other radio shows. Seems like you save yes. all your good quotes for other radio shows. But you say that the, yes. the Holy Spirit only works in improv. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's good. That's true. I say good stuff on our radio show. You're just not listening. That's good. That's possible. Well, anyway, we're going to be doing some Tim in the news. Thanks to our listener email and address. buzzwords too, and some buzzwords and Bible bead. We found out we game? got a new listener this week, which is exciting for us. We've been fighting to get over the fourteen and a half listener mark according so, to the metrics. So now we're at 15? and uh, got another one. Listen to a couple <laughs> old episodes. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Fifteen and a half listeners. Welcome aboard. Oh, it jumped listeners. Up oh, okay, good. Uh, I didn't know if that was yeah. like fifteen and a quarter now, or or what that meant. But. No, fifteen and a half. I think we're at fifteen point five listeners. Okay, making our way towards the coveted. You know, every every podcast is trying to get to twenty listeners, and we're almost seventy five percent over seventy five percent there. We're on our way. Mm-hmm. At this rate, twenty listeners by twenty thirty. Write it down. And if the Trump economy keeps up, maybe we'll get there before that. So We'll see. Anyway. I remember when we used to play a game called Bible Bee? I don't even know. Yes, let's do that. I'm excited to play that that game game. today. Okay, well, we'll give it a try. Quick buzzwords, man. I can't wait to give you my buzzword. Okay, give me your buzzword. My my buzzword for you today is Deuteronomio. Deuteronomio. Okay. You want to know what that is? Yeah, I do. That's Deuteronomy in Spanish. Uh Uh-huh. Deuteronomio. Are you studying Spanish now, for some particular reason? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you asked. I'm studying Deuteronomy because on issues, etc., we're doing this series of introducing the books of the Bible. Just finished Deuteronomy today. And I'm studying Spanish because we're going to go to Spain in September. I wasn't going to mention that, but since you asked, uh, and if anyone wants to go with us on this theological adventure, visit the website, wolfmuller.co. Deuteronomio means second law. Deutero, second nomos, means law in Greek, and that's why it's called the second law, because Moses is preaching to the second generation of the people before they go into the promised land. 
So that's my buzzword for you. First ever Spanish buzzword, Deuteronomio. Excellent. My theological buzzword is an old buzzword. Do you buzzword see how that... I plugged two things with one buzzword, though? That's like genius marketing. I don't know if I'd call it genius marketing. Uh, anyway, the the buzzword I have for you is pietism. Uh, this is one we've had before. We have, I think, our famous definition of it. But I want to do. I, I want to make the distinction between pietism and just piety, or that something would be pious, because sometimes people don't quite have a distinction of those things. We don't want to disparage uh, piety. That is to say, uh, acts of devotion, things of of uh, personal devotion to the Lord, and these are all fine things. You know, if you if you close your eyes. When you pray, that is, in some level or in some sense, uh, something that's pious because the Bible doesn't command. It's not like you have to close your eyes when you pray, that you're sinning if you don't close your eyes. It's just something, I, I guess, that shows reverence, helps for concentration, I suppose. Um, there's all kinds of things, making the sign of the cross, being, you know, lighting candles in a worship service. Uh, there's all kinds of things that are pious. They're good to do. They're acts of devotion to the Lord, and that's fine. What's what uh, causes a problem though is you make um, piety into an ism, pietism, so that now your uh, entire what religion, if you will, uh, is wrapped up into the acts that you're doing, the devotions that you display. And so our operating definition on Table Talk Radio for Pietism is the theology that says progress and good works is more important than having a right understanding of doctrine. I think I think that stands as a good definition. I think so too. That's Hold on, I got to do a little that's research. That's cuz you wrote How it. How do you say pietism <laughs> in Spanish? Hold on. Pietism in Spanish. Lumpy has been automated by the way. Pietismo. Pietismo. Lumpy. Pietismo. Lumpy sounds a little I'm gonna say it feminine. Sp- can, can, <laughs> how do I change the Google to sound more like Lumpy? <laughs> change your voice to sound more like Lumpy. Done. Now, uh, I'm gonna. If I can, I have a thousand points if I say the word Pietismo. Pietismo. Sure. I'll give you a thousand. Pietismo. Points. All right. Let's uh, let's dive into this email, and it is. I wonder how to make Google have a span have an Australian accent. This is from Kathy. Said, Please read and use, use as a an basis Australian for your game accent. Ten Commandments in the News. Signed, listener number five out of seven. This must be a pretty old email. Uh, she says, thanks. Yeah, we've got way more than seven. We've doubled. <laughs> Let's see. This email rolled in in April of 2016. So, yeah. our our Can you track our rate of growth there? You have a, a I'm not line so good chart at or something? Okay. All right, here's the, uh, here's the article. It's, the headline says, Abortionist says he does abortions because he's a Christian. Killing babies is a ministry. The mainstream media tends to stereotype pro-lifers as conservative Christians and the right to life as a religious issue. While the pro-life movement has many Christians, it is growing increasingly diverse as more agnostics and atheists identify with the cause. Meanwhile, some of the pro-abortion movement are claiming the label of Christian. One of the abortion advocates most vocal about, about it is Mississippi abortionist Willie Parker. In a new interview with Alternet, Parker talked about why he calls his abortion practice a, quote, ministry, and how his spirituality motivated him to start doing abortions. According to the interview, quote, 
Wait, 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 wait. I wasn't paying attention, but you caught my attention with that last line. This guy says that it's his doing abortions is his ministry? Yes. Huh. <laughs> is right. All right. According to the interview, uh, and this is a direct quotation from him, trained as a OBGYN. Oh, wait, maybe it's not him. This is quoting the interview of which the article is responding to. Trained as an OBGYN, Parker did not perform abortions during his first 12, 12 years of medical practice. But over and over, he witnessed the suffering of low-income women, especially black women, forced to bear children when their own instincts told them that the time and circumstances weren't right. Finally, Parker asked himself, if not me, then who? And so began to uh... work... There's there's like 40 wrong things in that last sentence. <laughs> like, I thought I was a genius for plugging two things with one word, but this... You're this a is novice. This like demonic genius of being able to have, like, this many wrong things in a single sentence. Yeah. It's like... Uh, I didn't even know where to start. The, the instincts of the low-income black women... How is the first of all, how is this not phenomenally racist? <laughs> it's like I, all these poor black women, so we got to kill all the poor little black babies. I mean, how is that? It's like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Someone told me one time you're not supposed to be racist, and that sounds racist. I'm going to kill the poor black, black babies. Get this. Oh, They're the, the ones that are going to have a tough time. You're really going to like this. I mean, this. just what? So. Uh, this guy, Parker, says, in order to do this work in the face of constant opposition and uh, vilification, abortion providers have to be more principled than average, he says. Oh. We're, we're, <laughs> we're not superhuman. We are just like you. But to do this work, my colleagues and I draw from a deep conviction that lets us endure the opposition and frank danger. Not as what dangerous as someone killing cause. you. Right. That's right. Ironically enough, he, his life is in grave danger. I mean, <sighs> but not quite as in grave danger as all the babies that come into the clinic. Yeah. Poor black babies, not yeah. worth living. Poor black babies, you better just kill them because their life is not going to have any value. I, uh, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is, I cannot, I don't know, people are going to look back on our age as the darkest of the dark ages. Oh yeah, when you, how, when you murder all the poor back, black babies who live, sheesh. As if being black and being poor is a diminishment to life. Life is life. Hmm. Here's one more quote: the, uh, uh, Most doctors who refuse to perform abortions are consciously refusing, and the people who insist on providing are consciously providing the care. That is the way. The human spirit runs when we have a deep resolve about principles or values or people to which we are deeply committed. That is the only thing that has kept abortion access available for women. So if you have a conscience to kill people, then uh, that's a virtue, uh, apparently. Well, this is the only way to make sense of it, is this Epicureanism that says that the worst thing in life is suffering. I mean... Death is better than a life of suffering. That is, there's no way to defend that except for just to play the Epicurean card. All right, hang tight. We are back. Apparently, we do.
earplugs not included. You're on Table Talk Radio. We're going to try something totally new this fall, a missionary visit. We're going to go tour around Spain and see the missionaries that are there. Find out more at wolfmuller.co. Click the travel button. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Before the break, we were talking about this article where an abortionist says that he does abortions because he's a Christian and killing babies is his ministry. You liken this to Epicureanism. Is that right? Uh, it's the Epicureanism has to be the pagan idea behind it, and that is Epicurus taught that the main thing in life was pleasure, and Epicurus himself defined that as a lack of pain. So there's a there's a curious kind of Epicureanism which says that we want to maximize pleasure. That's like, uh, you know, if it do it if it feels good, do it. That's what we call hedonistic Epicure- Epicureanism. It's not true to the original teaching of Epicurus, who himself was, I think, celibate and also very moderate in his lifestyle and so forth. He he was um, he would fast often and stuff like this. So not what you think of when you think of Epicureanism, but but the, the, no matter. The point of all Epicureanism is that pain is the worst of evils to be avoided. And so so you, you look at, say you look at a person and they're suffering a lot of pain. And, and, you, and you say, well, they could continue to suffer a lot of pain or they could suffer death, which would be better. Well, a normal person looks and says, well, pain is better than death. Death is worse than pain. But an Epicurean says, no, no, there's nothing worse than pain. Uh, so it must be death. It must be better than even pain. Now, mm. that uh, mm. that ranking of things is is just a manifestation of this epic this pagan epicureanism and that's the days that we live in so we have that with euthanasia we have it with abortion that was the pure if i could if i understood the logic behind this guy that these babies these poor black babies will have a, a life of suffering so it's better to have no life than a life of suffering well the only way that that makes sense to put that i mean you, you see how you're making a judgment you're mm-hmm. making a um you're deciding what's better and the only way that a life of suffering is is worse than no life at all is if you are an Epicurean. Uh, but even Epicurus wouldn't allow suicide, and I don't think abortion. I don't know. I have to look at it. But but it's it's the logic that gets you there. Is that logic of Epicureanism? So we have to say, no, no, hey, we're not Epicurean. There are things that are worse than pain. A lot of things that are worse than pain. In fact, we, as Christians, we can say pain is. Is, is in some ways a gift from God, and so we don't. Someone's going to suffer pain, therefore they should be killed. It, it makes it, it's there's no there's no way that that makes sense to a rational person. You have to you have to be swept away by the irrationality of Epicurus for that for that argument to stand at all. I I, I think um, what's interesting about this is not just. I, I, I like the Epicurean connection you demonstrate there. But what's interesting here is that it goes a step further to say not only is this acceptable for whatever reason, but that now he says, as a Christian, this is some, sort of my ministry. This is my service to people. So uh, this shows that we aren't just uh, individuals in a particular religion, but that Christianity is supposed to guide our way of thinking to be completely different and separate from that of the world. But as this person, this Dr. Parker, um, is demonstrating, is that uh, when when we just adopt the thinking of the world 
and then just put the name tag of Christian on a thing, it doesn't actually make something Christian. So that the, the, the doctrines of Christianity are going to guide us in a different way of living than what the world is going to present to us. And that's that's what's so shocking about the way that uh, we approach things as Christians, that the, there is a difference, a fundamental difference, and not just a external difference, but a, an entire different way of thinking in the way we approach the world. Right. That's right. And to be able to recognize the Epicureanism for what it is and say it is incompatible with Christianity. Mm-hmm. All right. We're not so... so good at that. We're always trying to mash stuff up. We're always trying to say, oh, no, you can be Epicurean and Christian. You can be a Buddhist Christian. You can be a whatever and a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. Messianic Christian or whatever. We're always trying to mash these things up, not recognizing that there's an exclusivity to our faith. And it, and it goes much beyond who we say God is. It also has to do with how you think of humanity and life and suffering and how not to kill the babies. So I mean, it, it seems like if we could agree on anything, it should be this: we shouldn't kill the babies. I, I do not, I do not understand how that that statement "don't kill the babies" is so controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, is a world's upside down. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you think we? What's like you're in a party, you know, cocktails, and everybody's kind of standing around, uh, mixed group, and you're going, "What's the one thing I can say?" That would be politically correct, so that nobody would disagree with me. Ah, we shouldn't kill babies, and then half of the group just want to kill you because of what you just said. I mean, man, I, I mean, I could probably say we should not hurt kittens, and nobody would get mad at you. But that's right. You say we shouldn't kill babies. No. Can you think of how what what an affliction if you have a poor black kitten? Is she going to have like seven little baby kittens? <laughs> She's living on the street. We should probably, it should be a ministry that people go pick up the poor black kittens off the street and kill the babies so not to oppress that black cat in the alley, you know? How is this not so racist? <laughs> you know who the lady who started Planned Parenthood was like this crazy eugenicist mm-hmm. singer? Mm-hmm. She was all about the, you know, Aborting the the black babies, which is just, it's it's racist. It's there's no ah, ah, there is now the b- biblical perspective is that there's no such thing as race. I mean, there's a such thing as poverty, but we're all belong to humanity. We're all brothers and sisters. We should we should not kill anybody. That's an interesting concept. Uh, okay, so we're supposed to be dealing with the fifth commandment. What's inter- or we're dealing with the ten commandments? So obviously, the fifth commandment and killing babies is a violation of the fifth commandment. But what's interesting here is that you don't just have the fifth commandment all by itself, but it's a fifth commandment tied to the second commandment, the Lord's name, because He says, "I'm a Christian. This is my ministry." Yeah, that's uh, that qualifies this as blasphemy. It's a double or triple sin. Um. It's, it's a sin of murder, and it's a sin of putting the Lord's name on murder. That doubles the sin, and then you you kind of you triple the sin because what you're doing is you're you're bringing the delusion of a comforted conscience to the people who are participating in it with you. Like, oh, hey, we're all Christians here, and so this is not a non-Christian thing to do. So you're putting the souls of everybody in danger. So it's a triple sin. It's a, it's you know how I mean sometimes you know you you sin and you lie about it. You double up your sin. You 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 use God's name, you triple up. This is, I mean, maybe it's even more than that, quadruple, because you're using the Lord's name to cover up your sin. And so, not only are you claiming that it's not a sin, but you're saying it's a good work, it's an it's a righteous act, and you're trying to comfort the people's consciences who are involved in it with that with that deception and that lie. This mm. is just it's about it's about as wicked as you could get. 
Yeah. I mean, just to do it in church instead of Sunday school would be like the only way to make it worse. <laughs> All right, you can so come f- to Sunday school or go over there in the bathroom, and <laughs> this guy has a ministry of killing your baby Ugh. if you're poor and black. <laughs> All right, so first commandment, second commandment. What else? And fifth commandment. Uh, third commandment, also the, uh, despising the Lord's word doctrine. Uh, fourth commandment. It's not, I mean, how, it's hard for these kids to honor their father and their mother if they're dead. Uh, fifth commandment. Sixth commandment always has to do with our sexual sin and also having children. When we disconnect having babies with sexuality, it's not like it's. It talks about how these children, how the how the moms are forced to have the babies, but they apparently, I would just guess in most cases they were not forced to act like they were married, <laughs> which is how the children came about. Mm-hmm. So there's six commandment stuff involved. Seventh commandment, no doubt, these poor black ladies are paying for the service. Uh, Eighth commandment is lying in God's or, name. Or ninth and somebody tenth commandment, is. maybe the maybe the government or the taxpayers paying for the service. Did you know in and, uh, and in the, in my fair state of Oregon, it's the only state in the entire United States of America that have zero laws on restrictions of abortion. That you could you could have an abortion in the state of Oregon days before giving birth, and it's perfectly legal in the state of Oregon. And the taxpayers. Uh, are paying for abortions, explicitly paying for abortions in the state of Oregon. And the, you guys are pagan. It's the if only... you guys are doing it, that means Colorado's going to do it next because yeah, we are right. like always tripping over each other to outdo each other Out, in these liberal each causes. Other. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay, so uh, you said 8, 9, and 10. Is that what you said? Yeah, oh, the 9 and 10 because the, you see how this Epicureanism is driven by discontent. Hey, I'll have a bad life if I have an unwanted baby or whatever. Therefore, kill the baby. All the sin starts, it, 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 it's sown in discontent. It sprouts in sin, it, and it ends in death, blossoms in death. That's the way of sin. And uh, so I think, every, I think every commandment is being shredded in this story. Good heavens. I hope I hope the Lord sends a preacher to this guy that he that pushes through the hardness of his heart and and rescues him from this deception. What a mess. Indeed. All right, let's uh dive into our next game, Bible B. This is where we quote uh, uh three verses, one verse and then one word of the Bible. You have to guess which book the Bible comes from. And first round is three verses. I have one or do you want to go first? Go ahead. All right. Here it is. Your three verses are, Indeed, the light of the wicked goes out, and the flame of his fire gives no light. The light in his tent is darkened, and his lamp goes out above him. His vigorous stride is shortened, and his own scheme brings him down. Hmm. Interesting. The light of the wicked is extinguished. That could be. That sounds Old Testamenty, probably because just because I don't recognize it. Um, it doesn't sound like Deuteronomy, although you could be doing that to trick me, Deuteronomia, um, as we say in Spanish. That's kind of like an onomatopoeia, only a Deuteronomia. Deuteronomia. <laughs> Deuteronomia. I mean, think I, about I it for work a little on bit. My Spanish accent. Why don't you work on your yeah, Spanish we had a break during this break? Yeah. And then uh, when you come back, you can see if you can figure out which book of the Bible that's from. 
want to hear from you, questions at tabletalkradio.org or send me uh, our phone call, voicemail, 1-800-385-SOLA. We'll be right back. For those times when you just want to be alone, this is Table Talk Radio. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. All right, we're playing Bible B, and these are the verses that Pastor Wolfman there has to figure out. Indeed, the light of the wicked goes out, and the flame of his fire gives no light. The light of his tent is darkened, and his lamp goes out above him. His vigorous stride is shortened, and his own scheme brings him down. Those are the three verses that Pastor Wolfman has to consider in guessing which, uh, which book of the Bible they come from. What say you, Pastor Wolfman there? It sounds to me like wisdom literature, by the way which would be Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, so forth, maybe Job. It could be Esther. You're always trying to trick me with Esther. I think, though, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with Ecclesiastes on this one. What is the book of Ecclesiastes? I love how we uh, do the Jeopardy thing with Bible B for no apparent reason whatsoever. Just in case. You never know. You always want to answer with a question, just in case. <laughs> All right. Um, you hate to lose the points that way. Yeah, and and there's no punishment for incorrectly putting them in the form of a question. That is incorrect, though. Um, you are looking for the book of Job. This is where Bildad Man. speaks of the wicked. So. Oh, Bildad. 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 You never know about Bildad. Bildad the shoe height. That's right. I, uh, the shortest man in the Bible. Bill you did. You didn't out. mention this though. I mean, that was one of your considerations. But what what made what tipped it towards Ecclesiastes over Job? Just a blind well, luck. Or? Apparently, I was wrong. I mean, that was one thing. Uh, <laughs> but the idea that uh, you know that there is a sense of justice in the world, and wisdom speaks of that. You know, these the wisdom literature talks about. There's two ways: the way of life and the way of death. The way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. And the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And this talks about the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. Now, um, there is a way that this gets mixed up a little bit. And probably the two places where law and gospel gets mm, confused is in the preaching of Job's friends, like Bildad, and also in Solomon in Ecclesiastes. I mean, it's not you got to read it very though you got to read those texts very very carefully. Mhm. Mhm. All right, I'm ready for a few verses to try and uh Okay. Try guess. Here's yeah. three verses for you. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple in a purple robe, and they came up to him saying, "Hail, King of the Jews," and struck him with their hands. Is that it? Mm, uh, now, this sounds New Testamenty, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, uh, we're dealing with uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um, now, see, there's there's two strategies to this game. The two strategies... I, I hate to give you all my strategy, Pastor Wolfner, but I think you're on to me. The two strategies of this game are to pick verses that are so obscure that it's not within a person's normal repertoire. 
uh, which is why I went to Job and Bildad there. Um, or the other strategy is to pick something that is so common that it's found in multiple places of the Bible. And then, then the contestant has to narrow down which one of the books of the Bible uh, uses this. Because we could technically go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John to the Passion narratives. And uh, unless one knows the particular differences between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on a given account, um, that's the only way you can get to this. So uh, just just by the chances of things, I'm going to... I'm going to take John out um, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, oftentimes mirror each other. So just uh, I'm going to uh, try to go for a 33% guess on this. Um, and then, uh, you know, Matthew has a has a pretty detailed narrative on the Passion account, particularly with uh, Pilate, I believe. Uh, Mark, Luke does too. Um, I, I'm going to go with Luke. I think Luke uh, uh, is where the verses are found that you just read. I'm sorry, in the form of a question, please. Uh, what is Luke? Wrong. Uh, John, chapter 19, <laughs> verse 1 to 3. <laughs> so instead of going from 25% to 33%, I went from 25% to 0% chance. 0%. That's right. You were <laughs> Eliminated the, the wrong Hey, what one. about law or gospel on this text? Uh, read it again. Uh, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Okay, this is the fascinating thing about the passion narratives, is that uh, at least what you gave us right there is purely historical. And so, I mean, I've been listening to a lot of debates lately, especially debates with um, Bart Ehrman. And so the whole question of historicity comes up. Um, and so we, we won't uh, recover all those issues here. But uh, this is a question of historicity. Did Jesus, uh, did Pilate actually do these things to Jesus? And um, I think on the basis of just normal historical criteria, the Gospel of John could be considered to be a reliable text. Um, but it's when we ask the question theologically, what does this mean, that we can start to get at some law and gospel. And when we ask that question, we will see that this, these three, these three verses uh, are both law and gospel. And that is because they are law in that what we see our Savior enduring is the punishment and the wrath for our sins. And that very thing. So we, we see, when, when we see Jesus crucified, we see our sins. Uh, the, the, the God's wrath for sin is right there on the cross. And that cross is also a gospel because it is uh, that Christ is our substitution, that, that he is bearing it instead of us. And that is good news. And there's a promise in there. That is the promise of the forgiveness of sins. So law and gospel on that one. Yep, I'll go for that. Oh, I probably should have been getting another verse ready then, huh? Hmm. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Flip open to the New Testament somewhere. Just pick any verse in the New Testament. Yeah? Make it easy on yourself. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. I'm going to pick a verse from Deuteronomia here in Spanish. Okay. Cuando en medio de ti apareza algún All right, here's your, here's your one verse. Prophet uh, that, or visionary? You'd probably figure that one out. I say the to you... Uh, no, 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 I don't want to do that protocol. one either. You could figure that one out. Ah, da, 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 da. O senal miragrosa. <laughs> Did you get that? Okay, here you are. 
Deuteronomia. I'm ready. Uh, our fathers Hello. had the uh-huh. tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. Ha! That's nice. Our fathers had the pattern. That's the kind of thing that they say when they're preaching in the book of Acts. What is the book of Acts? I think that's the, from the sermon of Stephen, even. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> yeah, baby. Why do you think I wasn't going to get that one? Well, my the other one I was going to uh, say, but you would get it. It would be, you won't get out until you pay every last cent. Oh, yeah, from Jesus. From Jesus, but what, uh, what let's gospel see. is that found in? Uh, Matthew, uh, see, probably. I should have gone with the other strategy. Anyway, no, that was Luke. Why, it's, Luke Luke would be the one. <laughs> if it's in both, you have to give credit for both. Well, that's true. I don't know. Now, the this thing about Stephen preaching is uh, really great because he basically goes through the whole history of the Old Testament and says, you, you, oh, the mark of being Jewish is being a knucklehead, hard-hearted, hard-headed. <laughs> and he traces it all the way through, and he says, and you guys are continuing that as demonstrated by the fact that you killed the Messiah, and also you're about to kill me. It's a great sermon. Just a great sermon in Acts. What is it? Acts, like Acts chapter 8 or something? Yeah. Uh, something. It's perfect. And it is a sermon of... Well, that's it, interesting. It's a sermon of, that what he's saying there is he's preaching the law to the people, but that that God called Moses up there and said, make a make the the temple according to the pattern that you see. That's God setting in place divine service, which is gospel for the people. But um, but the way that uh, the way that P- Stephen is preaching and the people are hearing it is going to be law. Uh, Acts seven, by the way. Okay, seven, got it. I got a verse for you. Oh, so how many millions of points do I get? Seventeen hundred. Feeling generous today. Wow. Seventeen hundred points. Yeah, I mean it was, it was more because of the. How do you say 1,700 in Spanish? Oh, it's not going to tell me. Lumpy is... Uh, uh, here's my verse. Okay. Oh, I almost read the verse for you. <laughs> the verse thing. Ready? Ready. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Huh. Seventeen hundred in Spanish. I think that's a Pauline. One thousand seven hundred. Okay, so that's a. <laughs> so you work on your Spanish. How do I get this thing to work? That's oh, broken. I'm so sorry. How do I say one? Okay, well, the verse you gave me is from one of the Pauline epistles. I'm sure of it. Uh, the question is which Pauline epistles? So, um, uh, so you have this contrast being rich and poor, and of course, um, you know. Uh, spiritual poverty, uh, that is, that we would uh, uh, confess our sins, uh, find in ourselves nothing redeemable, uh, sorry, n- nothing uh, valuable before God in and of ourselves according to our flesh, uh, yet in Christ we are rich. Uh, this is going to be, um, again, one of the Pauline epistles, probably like 1 Corinthians or... Good to know. How do you, That's how to say 1700. How do you say 1 Corinthians in Spanish? Hold on, I'll figure it out. <laughs> How do you say 1 Corinthians in Spanish? Primera Corinthians. 
Primera Corinthians. All right. Uh, and that is wrong. <laughs> Close, though. Well, wait, wait, wait. So you were looking wait, for... Wait, wait, wait. What is First Corinthians? <laughs> you were looking for second Corinthians. Oh, that's close enough. I should get some. It was very there. close. All right. I think you were we'll be right back. Table Talk Radio, where the voice crying in the wilderness is the listener. Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the Devotions button. In the previous segment, I was so close guessing 1 Corinthians... But last second Corinthians, this verse is so beautiful. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Ugh. Oh, what a great, we should write that one in gold on our heart. Hmm. You guys out there looking for verses to tattoo on your arms as a tribal band, that's a good one. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Don't tell your parents I told you. <laughs> Carrie told me the other day that she was when she was in high school, she wanted to get an armband tattoo. Really? Can you believe that? Carrie. Of what? Huh. Like, I mean, just a design, I like guess. Like it's a tribal band, like Brian Urlacher has, you oh, know? Interesting. Except hers wouldn't have been as big as Brian Urlacher's, because his arm is like 42 inches of a bicep. <laughs> Guys run out of ink doing a tribal <laughs> tattoo. Oh, anyway, look at this. Beautiful verse. Law and Gospel? You want to do law gospel? Oh, that's gospel. It's so good. It's it's gospel because uh, here we have our our Lord uh, emptying himself of the great glory and majesty uh, riches he has uh, so that uh, we would be uh, brought into such uh, majesty. It's such a beautiful verse. Gospel, gospel, gospel. You got it. Um, Boy, I need to fact check this. I have a great word for you. I found a pretty good single word, too. Oh, dang. It's not in there. See what? What's interesting what is is the various uh, translations. So, yes, th- this word um, is in the New American Standard Bible, but it is not in the English Standard Version. That's all right. I'm better with New American Standard. Okay, good. All right, your one word clue in which you have to identify the verse is the word relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Relationship. Are you surprised that it's only uh, found I, one? Are time you telling in the me that that Bible? word is only one time in the Bible? Only one time it's in the Bible. It's not in the ESV, and it's huh? not even in the ESV. Yeah, I should I yeah. should look to see what verse or what word they translate this as. You you guess, and I'll work yeah. on that. Okay, well, so I think because you're going to look at what word it is, it's going to be in the New Testament because you don't know Hebrew. <laughs> that doesn't stop me. <laughs> <laughs> Relationship in the ESV. I'm going to guess. You know, so. Um, there's a couple of books where the vocab is very unique. You know, you have a lot of hapax legomena, one-time words. Uh, Acts is like that. Second Corinthians, in fact, is like that. Job is like that. I don't think you'd go back to Job, double-dipping in Job. Uh, the one that's most like that is the book of Psalms. Um, uh, so I'm leaning that. I'm leaning towards Psalms uh, for that word. What is the book of Psalms? And... What is it? Uh, 
Matthew. This is what um, Matthew 19.10 says in the New American Standard Bible. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. Oh, what's the word in the Greek? Um, Hatia, uh, translated as, uh, well, relationship sometimes, but uh, reason, ground, uh, case, guilt. So this is how the ESV translates it. Um, If such is the case of a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. So they're really, I think, stretching the Greek there a little bit. But uh, nonetheless, mm. it worked for Bible B. That's all that matters. That's law, by the way, law. It, it is interesting, though, that, I mean, how relationship is the overriding metaphor for most Christians. And depending on what Bible they're using, it's not even in the Bible. <laughs> yep. Uh, interesting. All right. Yep. That's a, I mean, it's a fine point to make. I mean, this idea of having a personal relationship with Jesus is not a biblical idea. It's astonishing to people that that's the case, but you just can't find it in the Bible. It's faith, unity with Christ. That's how the Bible talks. Okay, so right, my one word for you. This is wait, interesting. Wait, wait, this wait, is wait, also wait, 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 wait. Oh, so yeah, the disciples sure. say to Jesus, "If the relationship of a man and his wife is like this, it is better not to marry." Is that law or gospel? That's law. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is saying, "Hey, you guys, you can't get divorces," and they're like, "Well, wait, you can't. Well, it's better to stay single." <laughs> Numb nuts. <laughs> I, but that, but that's interesting no i think that's very fascinating because that is really uh the response that we get from the world right so rather than you know learning to you know be a servant of another human being take responsibility for another human being uh you know learning to love and to to change our will the world says look it's better not to marry um we don't even need marriage anymore i should be able just to go you know Hook up with whoever I want, get the benefits of marriage without actually marrying, and now I'm, I'm in the clear. And so the disciples say to Jesus at, at the news that we ought not get divorced. The disciples say to Jesus the very thing that our world is saying to our culture uh, in the face of marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus says some can be made after this, right? He says some yeah. are eunuchs for the kingdom of God, but not many have this gift because. I mean, because Jesus says, well, look, they say better not to get married. And Jesus says, well, the, your other option is chastity. And then they say, oh, well, we'll try to make it work out then. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll stick it out. Okay, it might be tough, but it's better than the other <laughs> option. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, give me your one-word My clue. My one-word clue for you, this is interesting. This also is a translation thing. So I'm looking in the King James. This is used once. It's not used in the other translations. And the word is... Easter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I used to know this. Because uh, the uh, the Greek word that's uh, that King James is translating there is um, Pascha, which most translations go with, I think, Passover. But uh, yep. King James and uh, the, the, um, Tis, the, is it my, the Tisdale translation, am I saying that right? Uh, I think... Yeah. I think uh, he goes with uh, Easter as well. Or no, maybe... Oh, that's cool. Uh, anyway, it's been a while. I used to be really involved when I was back in college. I got real involved in the King James Only debate, and this was one of the verses that became an issue. And so I used to really? know all that stuff. Anyway, um, I'm going to go with the book of Acts. I think it's in Acts. You're right. Shoot. Boom! 
Acts chapter 12, verse 4, I have the New King James, and it says, So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover or after Easter. Yeah. That's fantastic. How does that come into the King James only debate? That's interesting to me. Well, I mean, those who uh, are not insisting upon the King James would use that as a place where that's been an error because... You know, Easter is typically understood to be some kind of a you know pagan festival that comes up later. I, I'm I'm that's such a long time ago. I don't really remember all the arguments uh, both ways on that. But the Greek word I looked up is Pascha, which is typically translated uh, Passover. Um, so the, those in the King James only camp would have definitely have a response to that. I just don't remember what it is, but I I think um, the logical translation of that would be. Passover, especially given the historical context of which they're speaking. So, now um, right. this right. this is the same as my um, my answer to law gospel on the crucifixion of Jesus. That uh, um, let's see, when they seized, was it Paul that they seized here? Oh, Peter. When they when they seized Peter, Peter. Um, this is just, again just a matter of history. However, it's it's fascinating to note that Peter is arrested obviously, because he's preaching the gospel. And, uh, and that when, when Peter is, is delivering this message of good news, even at threat of death, continues to proclaim it, those who are hearing this wonderful message preached are receiving the forgiveness of their sins, and that is gospel. Uh, so that's how right. I would, would tackle that verse. All right, I'll give it to you, man. You get, um, how do you say 1,700 points in Spanish again? That's what you get. I get Spanish points? 1,700 Spanish points. I, I have a feeling the, the points are going to be like exchange your Spanish rate between for some reason. The, Span- the, the peso exchange rate now. <laughs> okay, so we have two minutes for a free-for-all. What do you want to talk about last two minutes of the program? How many pesos are in a dollar? You might as well just stop. United States dollar equals 18 Mexican pesos and 79 centavos. <laughs> What's a centavo? Oh, a cent. So my seventeen hundred uh, table talk radio points equals. That's like uh, folks. You 100. might as well just stop the recording now. <laughs> that's a hundred. Uh, I'll give you one more Bible V. Okay. How about that? All right. Are you ready? Ready. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Uh, I'm pretty sure, okay, so this, I think, is from one of the Gospels when Jesus is speaking uh, in times, which uh, I know for sure he does quite a lot in the Gospel of Matthew, um, and I think he also does in Luke, but, but Matthew is really the big chunk. And so um, I'm going to go with the uh, Gospel of Matthew here. You got it, Matthew 24, verse 7. I am cleaning house. Another 1,700 peso points. <laughs> uh, and this is Jesus telling us how it's going to be between now and the end of the world. You know, we often read these. This is an important point to make. We often read these things as signs of the end. But Jesus says, you see these things and you know the end is not yet. Not the end, yeah. It's just how it's going to be. Yeah. This is how it's going to be between now and the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. It's going to be a It's going to be a mess in the world. Uh, and yet I've set you as a light to the world to speak peace and kindness and mercy and to rejoice in, in my gifts until I come. So so we see wars all the time, and we don't think the end is now. We, in fact, think, well, the end is not yet. 
But Jesus will come and get us, rescue us soon. Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Uh, where the points are overinflated, especially when you visit the tourist Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Table Radio. Table Talk Radio is not Side for everyone. Include nausea, vomiting, headache, our new listeners might need to pay attention to the warning. With aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smoke. If, uh, if Table Talk Radio causes your blood pressure to rise, it causes you to lose Stop listening right away. Stop listening right away.